Morning, morning, Andy Kind here welcoming you to this Sunday morning preach in this new series. P is for dot, 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 episode one, prayer. And you'll have noticed that my homeboy's back with me. Alan is back after his hiatus. He was on furlough. And here he is. You'll have noticed also he's only got one eye. I don't know where it's gone and he won't tell me. He denies that it's anything to do with the ongoing turf war between himself and uh, Carl Beach's Cookie Monster. However, I did find him preparing this earlier on today. And it says uh, Cookie Monster is history. So I do think there's something going on. I like how you've prepared it actually, Alan, in that serial killer style where you've made it look anonymous by cutting out bits of magazines. That is very crafty. Although you have slightly undermined it by writing Alan at the bottom and uh, putting a kiss, which sends mixed messages to say the least. Mateo. So prayer then. We're looking at the topic of prayer. And of course, the first question to ask is, what is prayer? Now, a lot of people would just say, well, prayer is talking to God. And I think that's true in in most cases prayer is talking to God but Romans 8:26 says that the spirit helps us in our weakness we do not know what we ought to pray for and so the holy spirit intercedes for us with groanings deeper than words and so actually prayer doesn't always have to be verbal prayer doesn't have to be talking because sometimes we we don't have the words and on those occasions the holy spirit intercedes on our behalf with groanings deeper than words. Sometimes all you've got is a heartfelt groan in God's direction. So if prayer isn't quite or isn't always talking to God, what is it? I want to get a proper definition. And um, as I was researching different interpretations of prayer, I found this one by John Piper. John Piper is an American pastor and, uh, and theologian. And he describes prayer as this intentionally conveying a message to God. So intentionally conveying a message to God, which is good because it means you don't always have to be speaking. Sometimes you're only groaning. But the intentionally bit is just as important because everybody is always conveying a message to God. God who sees all and created all and is above all is always having messages conveyed to him by every single person alive. So if you're someone who says, I don't want God to have anything to do with my life, well, you are conveying a message to God there that he's not wanted in your little kingdom. If you're someone who says, I don't believe in God, well, you are nevertheless conveying a message to God who does exist despite your scepticism that you want nothing to do with him. So prayer isn't just conveying a message to God because anyone can do that at any point. It's intentionally conveying a message to God. And again, any of us can do that at any point. It's good news. So um, what I like about this is the fact that intentionally conveying a message to God, if that's a good definition of prayer, you'll notice that the parameters within which that can happen are vast. John Piper is a very conservative theologian, but there's nothing in here about ritual intentionally conveying a message to God. That's prayer. It can happen anywhere and at any time. It doesn't say prayer is about ridding yourself of all the trappings of domestic day-to-day life and putting yourself in a place of readiness to hear from the Father through his word. No. Prayer can happen anywhere, at any time, and can be prayed by 
anyone and that's that's really good news i think some of us think of prayer as a duty or a chore we have to pray otherwise god will be angry or we have to pray otherwise things won't happen or oh i need to pray because i'm a christian 1 thessalonians 5 16 17 and 18 says rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances so it is saying we should pray without ceasing. We should always be intentionally communicating messages to God. We should always be intentionally conveying a message to God. However, either side of that are these phrases, rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. So if we're praying without ceasing, it's not supposed to be a chore. It's supposed to be about enjoying God. The Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man, as in what we're made for, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So rejoice always. Never stop praying. Always give thanks. That's a pretty good kind of framework for what prayer should be. And, you know, we're only going to do stuff if we enjoy it. What we're trying to do gradually is to transform our thinking, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we see prayer not as transactional, not as contractual, but as relational. And what we're going to do as we look in Luke 11, which is what I've chosen to focus on, we're going to look at, we're going to look at that uh, and what Jesus says about prayer. Because I was thinking, well, how, you know, how do I talk about how to pray over over this online medium and I thought oh well the disciples asked Jesus Lord teach us how to pray so we're going to look at that in Luke 11 but just first uh, a little story when I uh, was quite a new Christian living in in Stoke-on-Trent I was part of a a church and um, there was a guy there I won't give you his actual name but he he looked like a cross between a Norman and a Colin so we'll call him Nolin and um, when Christians are praying out loud in a group, there's usually one Christian who will try and make themselves sound more holy and righteous by just slotting in the lyrics to hymns and worship songs. So that there was guy, uh, this guy Nolin, and one time he said, OK, everybody, let's pray. I'll start. Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. You are mighty to save, everlasting God, way maker, miracle worker, shine, Jesus, shine. Just a non-stop ticker tape parade of quotations and even at the time I thought I'm sure that's not what prayer should be it feels quite false and artificial and um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of integrity in that and I got quite het up and so I said to my friend right I've had enough of this next time we pray I'm going to start if Nolan can use song lyrics so can I so we got together the, the following week I said right Nolan you be quiet I'll start let's pray everyone uh, father god uh, Tommy used to work on the docks and uh, the union's been on strike and he's down on his luck, Lord. It's, it's tough. It, you know, it, it's so tough. And what was good was that Nolan didn't realise that I was um, quoting Bon Jovi there. And a few weeks later, he came up to me and said, your, your, friend, um, your friend Tommy, how's he, how's he getting on? He had those problems with the union being on strike. I said, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's fine. Him and his girlfriend Gina, I mean, they're living on a prayer, but yeah, I think... Things are going quite well now. So if prayer is intentionally conveying a message to God, well, how do we pray? And this is the question that the disciples ask Jesus in Luke 11. They say, Lord, teach us how to pray. He says, well, basically, you say this. Now, the Lord's Prayer, the version you'll 
be familiar with and maybe have been taught as a child is the version in Matthew. Now Luke is writing after Matthew but will have been well aware of Matthew. So the fact that there's a shorter version here, sort of half the length really, that's not a mistake. I think what Luke is doing here is giving an even more fundamental, condensed, bare-bones view of how we approach God in prayer. So these are the key things that we say in prayer when we're talking to God. So Jesus says, start with this, Father. Instantly, we're focusing. Instantly, this prayer becomes relational. What Jesus is doing here in this first word, now it's amazing because we see the word Father and we think, of course, yeah, Father God, and we gloss over that. But, but this is astonishing, really. First of all, it's focusing on the fact that prayer is relational and not transactional, not contractual. So it's about speaking to a person and it frames it within that way. So when you're driving, you don't look at the windshield. You look through it. The windshield is there to help you look through it to the road ahead. If you just try and look at the windshield, well, you won't drive very well. And it's the same with prayer. Some of us focus on trying to say the right words or casting the right spell. I think it sometimes seems like from the outside. If we say the right words in the right way and we do the right spell, then magical things will happen. No, this is about talking to a person. This is about talking to our Father. And the words of the prayer, the, the format of the prayer are secondary because it's all about helping frame that relationship. So straight away, how do we pray? We come to the Father and we approach him. Second of all, the word that Jesus uses is Abba. This would have been mind-blowing. And at this point, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, we have a cataclysmic shift in world history. Because previous to that, you know, the Jewish people would have seen God as good and holy, but also as quite distant. In the Old Testament, um, God is referred to as Father 14 times, but it's always national. It's never personal. It's always the nation calling God Father. But what Jesus is doing here is really closing the gap between the Jewish people and God, and by association, closing the gap between you and this distant God. Abba is the most affectionate word they had for Father. And Jesus, I think about 60 times in the New Testament, uses the phrase Abba. And it's just absolutely mind-blowing, because all of a sudden, we have this prayer which is about relationship, but not relationship as part of a, a nation with this distant God, but actually as somebody who is your daddy. This all-good, all-powerful, all-seeing God is suddenly knowable in personal relationship. And the word father is, is, is interesting because actually we see father as quite a Victorian term, don't we? We, we see it as quite impersonal. But don't worry so much about that. The meaning of this, the meaning of what Jesus is saying when he says Abba, is that God isn't to be seen as distant and formal, but certainly, suddenly, as imminent and affectionate 
and intimate. So it goes from this distant formality to this imminent, close-by intimacy. And so that's how we should approach God in prayer. That's how we pray, by understanding that God is our Abba, our Dad, our Daddy. And you see, when, when my daughter Heidi comes to me, she doesn't talk to me as though I'm distant and unknowable. She doesn't say, Father, I beseech thee if it is in, within thy sovereign will for me to have another chalk ice. She doesn't speak like that. That's not how you speak to somebody that you know. If Heidi wants another chalk ice, she will say to me, Daddy, I've had another chalk ice. Will you forgive me? And if I were a better parent, there'd be a, 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 there'd be a middle ground there, but, but there isn't. But you see, the religious person will say, I've done something wrong. My father's going to kill me. The follower of Jesus is able to say, I've done something wrong. I need to call my dad. Do you see, do you see the difference? I'm lucky in that I have had a really good relationship with my dad for all of my life. And so whenever I hear the word father or dad, it has positive connotations. I'm aware that for some people, that's not the case. But what Jesus is saying is that you can call God Daddy, you can call him dad. That's who he is. That's who he wants to be for you. The ultimate, perfect version of what a father should be. He is the standard for fatherhood, not the bad relationship that you may have had with your biological fathers. So for some of us, God is the best dad we've never had. I'm lucky, but I'm, I just think we need to focus on not so much what the word does to us, in that sign theory of language, but actually what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Abba, God is imminent and close. So that's how we that's how we pray to start off with. We approach him knowing that he's not far from any of us. He's close to us and, and he will listen. Again, the focus is, 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 is the Father. And the difference between Christian prayer and um, the prayers of other spiritualities or other religions. With Christianity, when we're praying, we don't go into ourselves, we go out to our Father. We don't go into ourselves, we go out to our Father. Because the answer to our brokenness is not in us. Now, I think there's a, there's a place for things like mindfulness. I think it's good to be aware of you know, why you do certain things and why you have a proclivity or a tendency to, to fall into certain patterns of negative behaviour. But understanding that doesn't actually change it. We actually don't have the power that we think to change. And the great news about coming to the Father, going out to the Father, is that we are going to that source of help and love and joy and strength. You know, the hero does not lie in you. That's Disney. But help is always at hand. We go out to the Father. And I think with mindfulness, you know, what we're not saying is that outside of Christianity, there is no such thing as truth and everything is false. We're not saying that, but these things don't go far enough. At best, they don't go far enough. So I've been listening to a lot of um, philosophy podcasts recently, and Socrates, who was a, a Greek philosopher, he said, know thyself. And I think that's really important. It's really important to, to understand who you are. But that doesn't take you to fullness. That doesn't take you to 
purpose. You need something else. Looking into yourself, going into yourself as though that's where the answers are to be found. Well, that is literally the definition of selfishness. Selfishness. That's what it means to go into yourself. Whereas we're going out to God who accepts us as we are and has created us not just to know ourselves, but to know him. Because it's by knowing him and enjoying him and glorifying him that we find our true and proper identity. So we're not saying that outside of Christianity there's no, there's no, there's no good thoughts. And Confucius uh, in sort of 500 BC in China was talking about you know, trying to live a good life and working to be the best person that you can be so you can become the superior man, the superior person. I mean, that's, that's not bad, but it doesn't really answer the why you should do that question or the how you actually can do it in practice question. And the Lord's Prayer answers this. Like, how do we do anything? You come to the Father. Abba, Daddy. At the end it says, lead us. That's what life is about. It's about coming to the Father and being led by him. Anyway, I'm getting slightly ahead of myself here. I'm spending a lot of time talking about the fact that Jesus starts with the word Abba. But that's because everything needs to be seen within that paradigm. Everything needs to be seen within that framework. The fact that we can call him Dad means that we can know that he's approachable. He is approachable. We can approach him with bold confidence. We can know that he loves us and that he always answers our prayers. God answers every single one of your prayers, either with yes, no, or later. Often it's be patient. That's what I often hear when I'm praying. Be patient, not now. But God answers every one of our prayers. And because he loves us, we can know that even when he says no, that's not unloving. It's not because we haven't done the right thing or lived the right way or because we're not his favourite. But because he is, as we're about to find out, he is holy. He is set apart and distinct. He sees the whole playing field. He sees the whole battlefield. He sees what's in our path. He knows where we need to go and how we need to get there. So no isn't a rejection. Because we know he's our dad, he's our father, we never need to fear rejection. And that's really important. And that's why it's so amazing that Jesus starts with this. Every time you pray, understand that you're talking to your dad. I keep reiterating this, but it's really important. It is about a personal relationship where you are safe and secure. And that is not offered anywhere else. You won't find that amazing freedom to pray to a loving and knowable Father God anywhere else in religion or philosophy. But, you know, he doesn't always say yes in the same way that if my daughters came to me at 9 p.m. and said, Daddy, I know we need to be in bed now, but we'd like a couple of Red Bulls, please. I wouldn't say, OK, yeah, great, a couple of Red Bulls and some Haribo, fizzy Haribo as well. And we should probably spend a couple of hours playing Call of Duty so that by 11 o'clock, not only are you absolutely shattered and wired on sugar, but you're traumatised as well. That wouldn't be good parenting. And I am a decent father. I'm not the perfect father. So... A no isn't a sign of rejection. Knowing that, it's important to understand that prayer is about securing yourself in God and not securing things from God. Prayer is not about securing things from God, but securing yourself in God. Prayer is a reframing 
of our lives. Every time we pray, we are reframing our lives in the light of who we are because of who he is. It's about where you position yourself. You know, if you're playing cricket and you're the batsman and you position yourself on the outer rim, well, you're going to be bowled out. It's difficult to enjoy the rain when you position yourself above the clouds. It's difficult to enjoy the smell of flowers on a spring morning when you have your head buried in the sand. In the same way, it's difficult, if not impossible, to find fullness and the true meaning of life if you don't position yourself properly before God. And that means acknowledging that he's God and that you're not, but also that he loves you and is for you and will never leave you or forsake you. So it's about positioning yourself. It's about that reframing of existence. Every time we come and we say, Father, Abba, Dad, we are doing that. We are reframing our lives in the proper context. Jesus then uses the next line, hallowed be your name. So holy is your name. You are holy. So God is set apart. He is distinct. He is not us and we are not him. God is not us and we are not God. Atman is not Brahman and Brahman is not Atman, as they say in some Eastern spirituality. And this is good news because on the one hand, it makes us, it should make us grateful and in such awe that this distant, distinct God who is all good and all knowing and all powerful comes to us, takes us by the hand and lets us call him Dad, that is amazing. But it's also reassuring because it shows us that the real source of change and transformation for our lives does not lie in us. You know, Mariah Carey said, the hero lies in you. Well, I'm sorry, Mariah, if you're watching, you're wrong. The hero does not lie in us. That's Disney. We were made to contain strength, but it's not our strength. The hero is outside, but comes into our existence, comes to find us when we feel broken and offers to fix us and offers to lead us to victory and wholeness and freedom and all of those things. Next line, your kingdom come. Throughout the history of the world, there have been so many kingdoms and empires and we even build our own kingdoms and, and mini empires. And they all have something in common, which is that they are transient and they are temporal and they are finite and they will fail and crumble and fall. There is one kingdom that will have no end and that is God's kingdom. The good news is that your dad is also the king of the universe and ultimately it's his kingdom that will last. So when we're saying your kingdom come, what we're saying is I agree with your plan for the universe and I want to see that here on earth. I want to drag a little bit of heaven into my existence and the way I do that is by coming into that way of thinking. I don't want to have a thought in my mind that's not in God's mind. I want to have a kingdom mindset, a kingdom mentality. What is God's kingdom? Well, if you think about all the other kingdoms, um, however vast and however much good they've done, every other kingdom has always been about power politics and the preservation of a population of people. It's always been about power politics and the preservation of a particular population of people. Usually, in fact always, ultimately at the expense of another group of people. God's kingdom 
is good news. It's good news for the poor. It's good news for the oppressed. The good news is that there will come a time where justice will be done fully. The dam that's holding back God's judgment and justice will be removed and his justice and mercy will flow out like a river and every tear will be wiped dry and every evildoer will have to face the consequences of their choices. The outcast will be brought in. The people who are lowly will be raised up. The afflicted will be esteemed. The orphans will have their dad. The oppressed will be rescued and set free and upheld. This is what God's kingdom is. And so when we say your kingdom come, what we're saying is, you know that thing that you've promised? I want some of it now. I want to be a part of that now. I'm up for that now. I'm up for giving good news to the poor now. I'm up for setting the captives free now. I'm up for it. I want it and I'm going to go and do it with your help because you're my dad and I'm your child and you're going to lead me. You're going to take me by the hand. And I know that you're holy. I know that you're set apart and distinct, but I know that you're with me. So that's where I'm going. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, it says in Matthew. What we are saying when we're praying that is, let's go. Let's do it. I'm on board. I'm on board with this dad. Next line. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. What do I need today? Not what's going to happen five years down the line or even tomorrow. You know, Jesus says tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble, but it also has enough joy of its own. So give us today our daily bread. And implicit in this is the promise that God will provide for us. He will sustain us. But he won't necessarily give us everything we want, but he will give us what we need. So when we're praying, we should give God our needs and not our greeds. We need to stop demanding things from him. We need to listen to his commands to go and love and again, spread and build his kingdom. So give us today our daily bread. And that doesn't just mean make sure that I have enough for what I need for today. But your daily bread might be the grace to forgive somebody. It might be um, a financial gift so you can bless somebody financially. It might be God saying in your heart, you really need to get get in touch with this person because they're feeling really lonely. I need you to reach out to them and encourage them and tell them that I love them or, or whatever it is. What do I need for today? What have you got for me today? Give us my give us our daily bread. Give me what I need today to help build your kingdom. Nearly there. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. Now, obviously, we can't talk too much about about that here. There's a lot to unpack, trying to condense a lot into, into one sermon here. But let me just give one thought. Forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. You have been forgiven. Everything you've ever done wrong is on the cross. And we have to keep coming and reminding ourselves of this. You know, it's not that... God's forgotten about what he's done, but actually it's for us coming back and seeing that sin on the cross, knowing that it's there and we can leave it there. We don't have to keep coming back and putting it back there. It, 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 is, it is there. But you want to go around on your father's business. You want to go around in the royal robes that your dad has, has given you. And so I want to focus on the, as we forgive everyone who sins against us, because you need a pure heart and a pure mind. 
You need a pure heart and a clear mind. And in order to do that, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean saying never mind. It doesn't mean pretending that people haven't sinned against you or caused you harm. But for you, there are two choices. When someone sins against you, when someone causes you harm, you have two choices, forgiveness or bitterness. Those are the two choices. There's no option C, forgiveness or bitterness. You uproot the harm that's been caused to you, the genuine harm, or you let it take root. In the Bible, bitterness is called a root. It's referred to as a root. And when bitterness takes its root in you, it strangles the other stuff that God's trying to plant in your life. And it will create sin in you. If you aren't able to forgive, if we're not able to forgive, ultimately it will create sin in us. So the sin against us will create sin in us. And then that's how victims turn into perpetrators. So when it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us, that's not being flippant. It's not trying to underplay the real harm that is caused by people harming us and by people sinning against us but what it's saying is we need to uproot these things with God's help knowing that if we don't it will create sin in us it will cause us to be bitter and that will cause us to tear down his kingdom and not build it up and to tear down other people who actually need to hear good news from us we need to be people who bring good news into situations not who bring a domino effect of bitterness final line lead us not into temptation now it doesn't mean please God don't lead us into temptation because God is never tempted to do wrong what this is saying is we know that there's temptations the the world the flesh and the devil are against us so God lead us through this minefield of what it means to be human with temptation on every side, God lead us. Take our hand and lead us. God, take my hand. Dad, take my hand and lead us. So that's been a, a brief um, tour of the horizon of prayer. So what is prayer? It's intentionally conveying a message to God. How do we pray? We pray by understanding that God is our dad and we are his child. And what do we say? We say, Dad, here's my hand. Lead us. Lead me. I don't know what's happening tomorrow, but I know that you've got me. Whatever happens today, I know that you're good and I know that you've got me. So lead me. Today, lead me and help me to help you build kingdom the kingdom that will never end and where every tear will be wiped dry. Let's start praying that for ourselves. Let's start praying that for our town. Let's start praying that for our families and our friends, that his kingdom would come in the lives of people we know and love. And the way we do that is by understanding that he is our dad. We are his kids and he's got us. Lead us, O oh Lord. Thank you, Dad.